Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and we want to welcome you to our Arab Shabbat service here at B'nai Shalom. As many of you know, this is the weekend that brings about Passover. We want to wish you a very happy Passover. And as you know, as we start to keep the Passover, then we're going to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. So I hope you enjoy your matzah for the next coming week. And as we Jews always say that uh, there is no regular day uh, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because if you just eat matzah, it will plug you up. And so we recommend you drink lots of water uh, with it so that you can fully enjoy the holiday. With that holiday beginning this spring season, why it reminds us of the other appointed times that the Lord has given to us throughout the rest of the year, and I trust that you'll begin observing the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits in the springtime, and go right to the other holidays that will come. At Line of Lamb, we host conferences for the other holidays. Log in uh, to Shavuot events and Tabernacle events if you want to find out how to join with us for the other um, holidays that are coming up this year. But in the meantime, uh, enjoy your matzah and enjoy your Passover as we remember um, the Lord's redemption. Amen? All right. I think that pretty much covers our announcements. We're glad to have you in the service. And um, without any further ado, uh, let us go to Kiddush. Shabbat Shalom. Please join our family as we usher in the Sabbath. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kiddushanu Bemitzvotav Betzivanu Lecha Lekneher Shel Shabbat Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. We're the blessing over the cup. creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. I'm going to do a blessing over the bread. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Amutzi Lekem Min Haaretz, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen.
our husbands, we bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my wife and the blessing that she is, the way that she sustains our household and sustains me. Father, provides us with so many good things. Um, thank you, Father, for she truly is a blessing and a gift from you. Father, we desire, Father, that um, you just continue to cause her to flourish in all that she does and all that she puts her hands to. Um, thank you, Father. May she be a light and a witness, Father, to every single person that she ministers to and every single person that she meets. Wherever she goes, Father, may she bring forth your good news. Um, we praise you, Father. We thank you again so much for your goodness to us. And for me, just that you've given me my wife. Thank you for all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now let's bless our sons.
time for the Baruchu. Baruchu et Adonai Hamvorach. Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Leolam Vahed. Blessed be the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Michamocha. Mikamocha Baelim Adonai. Michamocha. Nedar Bakodesh Nohora Tehilot Ose Fele Ose Fele Who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord. Who is like you, O Lord. And now, for the blessing of our Messiah. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Et HaDerech Yeshua, B'Mashiach Yeshua. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the way of salvation in the Messiah Yeshua. V'Shamru. V'Shamru V'nei Yisrael Et HaShabbat, L'Dorotam B'Rit Olam, B'Ni U'Vein B'Nei Yisrael, O'Thi Le'Olam, Ki Sheshet Yamim Asa Adonai, את השמיים ואת הארץ, וביום השביעי שבת ויינפש. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and rested. And now if you can all please face east with me for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kevod, Malchuto, Leolam Vayet. Yeshua HaMashiach, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of His glorious kingdom forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. And now for the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha b'chol levavcha u'chol nafshecha u'chol meldecha. Ve'hayu hadvarim ha'ele asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. ושיננתם לבניך, ודיברת בם בשבתך בביתך, ובלכתך בדרך, ושך בך ובקומך, וקשרתם לאות על ידיך, והיו לטוטפות בין עיניך. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your arm, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
and you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. This first song has a bit of a testimony to it. Um, I was desperate to get my in-laws to understand uh, this walk. And um, it took a while. The final, the final thing that uh, really got them in was actually Monty, some teachings of Monty. But I, I could tell that they were turning. I remember one day that my mother-in-law, she phoned me up and said, Andrew, have you ever read Psalm 19? Um, and I could just tell something was changing because it's a wonderful psalm that speaks about the Torah, uh, the ways of our God. And the psalmist, yeah, we have such baggage in the church, but the psalmist just speaks about, it's perfect. The law of God is perfect. It, Turns the soul and gives joy to the heart and lives forevermore. And, uh, and so I hope you like this version. This is actually uh, this, this is the psalm that got me got me writing psalms because I mean, as I saw those words, it's just a wow. There's some wonderful words here. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies show the world.
us perfect. And Father, forgive us. We, as a people, we have maligned your ways and wandered far from your precepts. And Father, because of our sins, we have we've been scattered far and wide, like sheep without a shepherd. And Father, may we truly understand. means to be separate from our land, our people, our city, Jerusalem, our holy place. Yes, Father, you are omnipotent and you are omnipresent. You're everywhere. But Father, we've been exiled and estranged from you in many ways. And in many ways, Father, we long to return our inheritance. And Father, restore us in our day, I pray. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we Yeah. 
Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 9, where our portion Shemini will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, as always, I like to do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher b'chabanu mikol ha'amim, venetan lanu et torato, baruch atah Adonai, nonten ha-torah ha-amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. As I said, our Torah portion is entitled Shemini, which comes from the uh, first line of Leviticus chapter 9 that says, It shall come to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. That word eighth is the word Shemini. It's interesting because in our story, we have uh, the Levites, we have Aaron and his sons, who have been consecrated for the service of the tabernacle. They've been sitting in the doorway at the tent of meeting for seven days. They've been, they have been eating food, so it's not that they've been fasting for that period of time. But they are now getting ready to do the service of the tabernacle. This is the moment in time we have been waiting for for a great long period of time. We believe that the children of Israel were at the base of Mount Sinai for about a year's time after receiving the instruction about building the tabernacle and then you had everybody coming together bringing an offering to create the tabernacle to make the garments of the high priest and all of those things and now it's come about about a year later that now we're finally completing the work we're finally completing the tabernacle of God God's glory has come to to rest and dwell in that tabernacle and now we are consecrating Aaron to the service of the high priest and to serve that tabernacle this is a this is the culmination of many uh, many things many um, long amount of time to that we've been waiting until this point in time and then also for all the offerings that have been brought that we this was a joyous occasion that we were looking forward to it's interesting that we see it says on the eighth day now in all of the instruction about the consecration of the high priest it was told this was a seven day process so when it says that it's on the eighth day what it means is it it means that there is a continuation of what has already been taking place that there, this is a continuation of that consecration. We could have said, now on the first day after the consecration of the high priest, it, but it doesn't say that. What it does is it causes us to connect to what has happened before. In scripture, numbers mean a great number of things. And we've said this many times over that various numbers mean things biblically. The number seven, for instance, represents the plan of God and that we have seven days of the week and we have seven appointed times according to scripture. And that seven represents the plan of God. You know, the number one represents unity. The number three obviously represents the divine unification of God. The number five represents grace. When we look at the number eight... It always has the theme of new beginnings. It's almost like the, the cyclical repetition of the week. It's like when you say the eighth day of the week, well, it's not just the first, when you say it that way, well, you're talking about the first day of the next week. However, you're referring to something that had happened before that. So what we have here is Aaron and his sons completing this service, completing this consecration. Let me read here at the beginning and let's see, remember exactly what's going on and what we're supposed to see and what Aaron is supposed to learn and observe in this situation. Reading from Leviticus chapter 9. It came to pass on the eighth day 
that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And the children of Israel... And to the children of Israel, you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both in the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. If you remember, we've gone through the instruction the past couple of weeks of the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offerings, what those were to represent. Now, my conclusion in all of those things were this, was that these are what you were to bring so that you could enter into the presence of God. You had to give, and some of them were voluntary, but it says some of these were sin offerings. For any sin that might have been committed that was unintentional for the people or for Aaron, bring these offerings. The Lord is going to appear to us from the tabernacle. We need to make sure we are right with God. And so all of the instruction having to do with those offerings, we need to give all those types of offerings to make sure everything is square. We have the sin offerings for any mistakes we may have made. We are about to make a vow and an oath that Aaron is going to serve as the high priest. And that sort of vow, I believe, was associated with the peace offering that was to be given. And then to have a whole burnt offering that they were to give everything of themselves to the Lord and for the service of the tabernacle. We need to take, give all of these offerings so that as we begin anew on this eighth day, from this point on, we start from square one. We start from a clean hands, a pure heart that we have given offerings to make sure we have atonement, to make sure we have forgiveness from any sins that we may have may have committed. And then also that we are giving of the Lord and desiring to be in his presence. And that's all. That's the reason for all of these offerings. Moses says the Lord will appear to you. What an amazing thing this would have been that for all the children of Israel that they would have seen the Lord appear here in the tabernacle in a way that has never been seen before. Now, yes, we've had a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night that's been in the camp and with all the children of Israel for a period of time. But now that we've built the tabernacle and the tent of God, the Lord was going to appear in a new way that was going to consume these offerings and that we would know that the Lord had accepted us, that accepted the offerings that the children of Israel brought to him. What an amazing thing that would have been. As this goes on, it also described that there was also a grain offering that was given. This goes back to, again, what I was saying was that we gave all of these various types of offerings so that we would get in good stead with the Lord before we begin this service, uh, this permanent service of the tabernacle. Let me go ahead and keep reading here. Let me go to the end of chapter 9 and starting here at verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. 
Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Like I said, what an amazing thing this was. And that Aaron, this was the first time that Aaron, as the high priest, came out and blessed the people. What kind of blessing do you think Aaron gave? Well, I would submit that he probably gave the Aaronic blessing that we'll read about and we'll get the details of in the book of Numbers. But that he came and this is the first time that the children of Israel ever heard that blessing. And we actually in this ministry and over the course of time that I've heard as I've worked here, I have I can't tell you how many times that I've heard people be blessed so much for hearing that blessing for the very first time. The one we do at the end of every uh, service, every broadcast. Many people do it at the end of their congregational services. And that many people have come and they've said, oh, what was that blessing? I've, I've never heard that before. And I've had brethren come to me and say, oh, I, I have that as my ringtone on my phone. That they love that blessing so much and it has a great deal of impact for anybody who hears that, even in modern day, can you imagine the impact upon the children of Israel on this day, the first time they ever heard it? And it was uttered by the high priest, by Aaron, who'd been sitting there consecrating himself to God for seven days. And then he comes out and blesses the people. What an amazing feeling that would have been for the children of Israel that we put all this work in and then they receive that blessing back. And spiritually, it it. it encourages it encourages you it lifts you up and many people have said that even just from hearing you know me or our brother Rico canting that blessing i can only imagine you know what aaron may have sounded like you know aaron was the good sounding brother moses was slow of speech and had some sort of speech impediment but aaron he could talk pretty good and he probably had an amazing voice and could, and and that hearing that blessing would pale in comparison to me or, or our brother Rico sharing the blessing. I can only imagine what that would have sounded like and felt like, and it would have been an amazing time and an amazing thing to hear. So, with all of this taking place, what a beautiful ceremony, what a beautiful day this was. Everything is all going well. We've, we've built the tabernacle, the Lord's appeared. So, this should have been an amazing, glorious day. Unfortunately... In Leviticus chapter 10, as our story continues, now as our chapter breaks uh, in our scripture kind of show that it's like, oh, this is like another event. Well, this actually just reads directly right after one thing right after another. So the very next thing that happened, the very next thing, after the, after the, the glory of the Lord consumed the burnt offerings, the people fell on their faces, everything is glorious, the very next thing that happens... Leviticus chapter 10. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord, devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and and Elzaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron. These were some cousins of Moses and Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, 
Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let, let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the words of Moses. Now, as I was saying before, this was a glorious day, but now something terrible has happened here in the tabernacle. Nadab and Abihu took it upon themselves to offer profane fire. These, these are men who many people believe that these were not these were not bad guys. These were not men that were you know looked down upon in the community. These were the sons of Aaron, just like Aaron. They have been waiting for seven days, being consecrated to the service of the Lord. And on the eighth day, here they are. They're, they're, they've been anointed to do this work to to serve. In the tabernacle, and they take it upon themselves, each man of himself took his censer. They acted on their own, they put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord. Now, we believe that this probably took place inside the sanctuary and, and had put it upon like the golden altar, and that they then the, the glory of the Lord appeared and just consumed them and killed them instantly. It's interesting in our story. That they still had their tunics on because it says that's exactly how they were carried out of the camp. So this was a supernatural occurrence. It wasn't actual fire that came and consumed them and burned their body because their tunics were still on. But the tunics, if you remember, they were wearing the garments of the high priest and their garments were holy. But they were killed while wearing those tunics but those but the whole they had offered profane fire and they had brought something in to the sanctuary into the tabernacle that was not commanded and they were removed from the camp they were taken away now what's going on here there's many questions as to what exactly was going on here it's many of us believe that these men were drunk that they were not of sound mind and in fact as our story continues the next thing that is spoken will lend itself to that some also believe that this happening to Aaron Aaron had to hold his peace can you imagine Aaron being ready to serve the Lord and then his sons whom he loved whom he reared were old enough of age to serve as priests they had all, they had lived some life and he had had all this experience with them they then die instantly and you had to he had to hold his peace he would have been devastated. In ancient times, what it was when you were mourning the loss of a loved one, you would shave your hair, you would, men would, out of anger, would rip their beard out, and they would rent their garments in the process of mourning for their brethren. You also have to remember, what was Aaron wearing at the time? The garments of the high priest. He's wearing the breastplate, he's wearing the ephod, he's wearing the holy tunic, the, the blue robe with bells and pomegranates on it, and all of these holy garments that were made for him. And it's like he probably wanted to mourn, wanted to rent his garments, wanted to tear his hair out, but Moses speaks to him and says, you cannot do this. You cannot do that. You've got to remember, your hair... That has the anointed oil upon it, the holy anointing oil that has anointed you to the service of the tabernacle. You can't remove that from you at this time. And then you're going to, all this work, the precious stones of the, of the breastplate, of the ephod, of all of these things, you cannot rent that off of your body. Can you imagine the, the, the sacrilege or of some sort that, to, to tear those things apart when they were called holy garments? And not just the and not just the spiritual aspect of it, the physical aspect of how much work did the sons of Israel put into those garments, put into all of this, and then the whole thing be 
defiled because of some actions of some men who did something they weren't supposed to do. That would have been terrible. We couldn't, that could not have happened. Aaron had to hold his peace and could mourn. The whole house of Israel were able to mourn. And it says that in our scripture here, that they, that they could, you know, bewail the burning of the Lord that had just happened, but Aaron could not. Now, that would have been a terrible experience for Aaron. However, the very next verse of our scripture is very interesting to me, and it's something I hadn't really noticed before as I've, as I've read this passage. And you might not have noticed it either, but, but as we read on here, verse 8 of chapter 10, listen closely. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, that you would go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute throughout, forever throughout your generations, that you may be distinguished between the holy and the unholy, between the unclean and the clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord had spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Okay, so here's where we have the instruction for Aaron. Don't drink wine or strong drink or intoxicating drinks. No beer, no liquor, no wine, anything like that as you go to do the service of the tabernacle. It doesn't say you have to abstain from it forever, but when you do the service of the tabernacle, you need to not be, you need to be of sound mind. This is the phrase we always look at and think this is what we believe Nadab and Abihu did, and this is why they made that mistake, that they probably had hit the bottle one too many times before thinking they were going to offer some fire and make an offering of incense before the Lord. Yes, that's going on. It also gives the clear distinction to distinguish between the holy and the unholy, what God commands and what God does not command to be in his tabernacle. Yes, but you might have missed it when I first read that passage, the very first line. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron. How many times in scripture do we read that the Lord speaks to Moses? Speaks to Moses to speak to Aaron. Speaks to Moses to speak to Aaron and his sons. Speaks to Moses to speak to the whole house of Israel. Very few times in all of scripture does it say the Lord spoke to Aaron. Put yourself in Aaron's shoes for a minute. He just witnessed his sons dying. He wants to mourn. He wants to do that. I mean, he wants to rent his garments. And immediately following that, the Lord speaks to him. That's actually, that actually gives me some encouragement. That actually gives me something to where it's like, this was not just God, you know, being, you know, mean and bitter toward Aaron and his sons and, and having no loving kindness toward, toward, toward Aaron. Because some people say that this was a punishment for Aaron because of the sin of the golden calf. See, he made the golden calf and all the other people who sacrificed to the golden calf, they all died. But Aaron was still alive. The guy who made the golden calf is still alive. Don't you think that that guy deserves some sort of punishment? Some people have said that this happened to Aaron because of that sin. Possibly. Possibly. There might be a connection there. Why would this horrible thing happen to Aaron? And if this was, this was the God's, in turn, his punishment for that sin... I'm not going to pretend to be God and pass that judgment. However, what I can observe is this, is that what appears to be one of the first time, if not the first time, that the Lord ever spoke to Aaron, and he heard the voice of God at this time that he was there doing the service, and so then this would have been an encouragement for Aaron. To hear the voice of God that he is doing the service. He's given a commandment directly to him, but he says, this is your responsibility to distinguish between the holy and the unholy, the unclean and the clean, so that you can teach all the children of Israel. This was not given to Moses. 
Moses' job was not to teach the people and distinguish between the holy and the, and the profane. That was Aaron's job. And that was the commandment and that was the charge that was given to Aaron. You know, the, the, the phrase goes that to, to much, uh, much is expected of those who are, who are called to, to the service uh, of the Lord. And that there was a great responsibility placed upon Aaron at this time. And that's what's going on here. The consecration of the high priest. Your life will never be the same. You will have a responsibility and a call and a charge from God to serve him in this way and to teach the children of Israel. And we have to remember that's what's going on. The rest of chapter 10 uh, goes on to Moses uh, questioning Aaron why some of the, um, the grain offering and the uh, offerings that were put upon the altar that were, some of those were for to be eaten by the priests. And there's an inquiry of Moses in, in verse 16 that says, you know, the goat of the sin offering, it was burned up. Eliezer and Ithamar and Aaron, they were supposed to eat of that offering, but they hadn't. And so the whole, that had been completely burned up and consumed. Instead of some of it being brought off and to be eaten by the priests. And Moses inquires and says, why didn't you eat this? Why, why didn't you eat of the offering as it was commanded? Aaron says to Moses, he says, look, this day, now reading from verse 19, look, this day they have offered their sin offerings and their burnt offerings before the Lord, and such things have befallen me, such things as losing my sons. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard that, he was content. Aaron, speaking back to Moses and saying, this offering, because of where my heart is, because of my struggle, would it truly have been right for me to eat of the offering? Also, one of the things that I mentioned about this story before is this, is that his sons, Nadab and Abihu, they were supposed to eat of this offering as well. Had they still been alive, they would have partaken as well. And to sit there and eat the offering and then to realize who's not there, that this would not have been their focus as the high priest and as the priests of Israel would not have been properly directed had they been participating and had eaten that offering thinking about who was not there. It's interesting here, um, as far as deeper studies of the Torah, that this word inquiry in verse 16, that that word is derash. And as studies have gone on and rabbis who've stared at Torah scrolls for many, many years, they've determined that that word is the center word of the Torah. That there's the same number of words in the Torah scroll before that word and after that word, that word inquiry of verse 16, derash. Which means to seek. And it's very interesting that we are always in the process of learning about the character of God and studying Torah. We're always seeking God's instruction for our lives. And so that at the very heart, at the very center of the Torah, we have this word that has to do with seeking. Seeking information. Seeking the will for our lives. And that's what many of us are when we're on a journey in our belief in God. That's what we're doing at the heart of everything that we do. We're seeking after God what He wants. So it's always, I always thought it was cool and interesting that that's the word that's at the very heart of Torah. Our Torah portion and the book of Leviticus now shifts greatly from this point on at the end of chapter 10 going into chapter 11. We now will go into the passage that has to do with kosher. All the animals that are clean to eat for the children of Israel. Now, some of the questions have always been, why, are, why is this all in the same Torah portion? Well, 
to just sort of crack the code initially, we just learned a great lesson about separating the holy and the profane. And in the same way for each person individually, when you go and look inside yourself at the very heart and in the very stomach of your own body, what you decide to eat and what you decide to consume, you yourself have to make a distinction between what is clean and what is unclean. So there is a spiritual connection to the principles being talked about in all the stories of our Torah portion here. While at the same time, the entire narrative of Leviticus has now shifted. It's shifted to what I like to lovingly call the owner's manual of the human body. We are now going to start talking about what makes us clean and unclean and what is holy, what is profane, and what can cause us to separate ourselves from the presence of God. When we become unclean, there's always, there were, um, procedures that children of Israel could go through to become clean again so that they could continue to worship the Lord and enter into the presence of God doing services at the tabernacle, bringing offerings. There was a need for us to remain clean, to remain holy before the Lord. And that's going to be much of the narrative of the rest of the book of Leviticus, talking about everything to do with the very heart and soul, the center of our bodies. We're going to talk about what is what is holy and profane in the sense of what how does one's ego be lifted up? You know, when somebody, we're, we're talking about the center of our body and there's three appetites that God gives us inside the center of our body. There's our ego. That is where we puff up our chest and we think that we are, uh, we sense our own value. And so when you're talking about the ego of somebody, um, you know, they lift, they, they puff out their chest. And for those, th- this is where you put all your accolades. This is where you hang your medals. This is where your name tag is. This is where you, you represent yourself sometimes by, by your, what's up here in your chest. We also have an appetite for food, for nourishment and things that are very good and things that we need. And that's all to do with our stomach. Mankind also has an appetite for sex, for procreation, and we're talking about everything that's in the lower part of the torso. And so what we're going to now start talking about in the book of Leviticus is everything to do with you, your body, your life, from about your neck to the top of your legs. And this is, we're going to, you need to understand yourself, your place, and how to understand and keep yourself clean and holy with all of these different things and these different appetites. These appetites are good. These appetites are necessary for life. One should have good self-esteem. One needs to nourish themselves. One is, needs to procreate to carry on your life, your lineage, your the mankind in, in general. Those things are all good. But however, all of those things can be profaned. All of those things can be done in excess. All of those things can be done and be used inappropriately. That somebody has too much esteem for themselves, that they have a big ego. Somebody eats too much and has, and, and becomes a glutton. And then somebody has too much fornication in their life and they are a fornicator and they're cast out from society for that kind of sin. And so we need to learn to manage this if we are going to be holy before God. God has appeared in the camp. God is now dwelling in the tabernacle. We have the high priest. We have all the services, everything that we have to worship God. Now we need to look at ourselves. And make sure that we are doing everything right and appropriate before we go to into the presence of God. He's all, we've already learned and done everything we can with God dwelling in the camp. We now have to look inward at ourselves and make sure we are right, upright, holy before Him so that we appropriately worship Him. And it starts with what we eat.
Leviticus chapter 11. We have very clear instructions about certain animals that we are allowed to eat. What's interesting about this, we'll talk about land animals, we'll talk about um, uh, fish of the sea, we'll also talk about certain insects that, you, that you're allowed to eat as well. What's interesting about some of this is that for each thing, there are uh, two witnesses or two evidences that we are to look at to determine whether something is clean. For the land animals, it is those that chew the cud and split the hoof. Two witnesses, two evidences. So we have all of the, the cattle and animals that split the hoof and they chew the cud. Chew the cud meaning that they're a type of animal that's called ruminants, that where they have multiple stomachs, that whatever they eat, they digest it in a certain way, which sounds a little gross when you describe it. However, it's actually a very clean process to where that their body, they, they ferment the grass that they eat in one stomach and then it gets moved to another stomach. And But when it's all said and done, the animal is... Is, is an amazing process that God has created and causes the animal, the meat, and everything to be a very clean animal that is clean to eat. So we have those two evidences of what is clean to eat. And then you have other animals, such as swine, who split the hoof but don't chew the cud. It's unclean. You have other animals, such as rabbits, that chew the cud but don't split the hoof, and they are unclean. So we have evidences. When it comes to the fish... We have fins and scales. Some fish have fins and no scales. Some fish have scales but no fins. That we have to have two witnesses, even down to the insects, that they have to have the jointed leg and that they hop on the ground and that they, those are the evidences that that is clean to eat. Not that we're all jumping uh, for joy with the opportunity to go eat some crickets or locusts or cicadas at any point in time, at least in this uh, lifetime, in this uh, day and age. However, when it's all said and done, you actually analyze that, though crickets and, and those animals have more protein per gram per by weight than even, you know, a, a juicy steak. So these things are clean to eat, and so in a survival situation, you have the confidence that that is okay to eat. In fact, uh, even today, there now crickets have made a, cricket protein is now a very common thing in, in health food stores that is something that people use and put in their shakes, and it's a good source of protein. Um, I find it interesting that rabbis have yet to uh, put their stamp of approval on them being kosher, so the normal uh, uh, koshering uh, services that would, uh, legitimize a food to be kosher, they still have yet to hesitate on putting their stamp of approval on crickets, even though the scripture says that it's clean to eat. So, for all of those things. When it comes to the birds of the air, it's interesting with that one, it says all the birds are clean except for it specifies the ones that are not clean. And the ones that are not clean are the raptors, the birds of prey, uh, the buzzards and the vultures that go. And one of the things is the uh, principles of all of the animals that are unclean are the animals that sort of clean up nature after nature takes its course. In the case of vultures and buzzards, they come and it's like if something dies out on the, out on the savannah, they come and they clean it up. They take care of the rest of it. It's, it's gone and they clean it up. We're not to eat that, but they have a place in God's creation. Of all the fish of the sea and the, all of the shellfish that we're not supposed to eat, they do have a place and purpose in creation that they are the bottom dwellers and they clean up everything that's not there. Catfish is unclean because it eats anything and everything and just cleans up anything that is under the water. And swine have their place in creation, being, you know, basically, you know, living organic garbage disposals that will eat anything and clean anything up. They have a purpose and a place in creation, but not for food. 
We are to remain holy by what we eat and remain clean by what we eat. This goes on and, and talks about more of the things that are unclean, lizards and reptiles and things that are unclean, and when the carcass of an animal f- falls onto something, and then that something, that vessel that it lands on becomes unclean. We have some of these purposes here. The whole uh, chapter of uh, chapter 11 concludes here. Uh, let me go ahead and read the end of our chapter and the end of our portion here at verse 41 of chapter 11. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination, it shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy. For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, and you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy." So this is the whole reason why we're doing this, so that we remain holy. Let me clarify something here that some people sometimes mix this up. I'm going to say something that is that might sound initially wrong, but if you think about it, understand me here for a second. We are not holy because we avoid unclean things. Let me say that again. We are not holy... Because we have an avoidance, we're explained in the scripture what things are unclean, and because we avoid that, that doesn't make us holy. What makes us holy is God. God makes us holy. We're holy for He is holy. He makes us holy. Our job as a believer and a follower of God is to remain clean and remain holy because that's our natural default state that He makes us, and we don't we we then have to not defile ourselves with the unclean this is a little different than how a lot of brethren and a lot of believers communicate with one another this is where the rubber hits the road here in the messianic movement and in our fellowships and in our congregations how many people kind of puff themselves up and lift themselves up because of the commandments that they keep how many people stand up and say you know oh oh well i don't eat shellfish I'm holier than thou because I remain, I I abstain these from those things that make you unclean. So you look down on somebody who maybe doesn't keep kosher, maybe our family members, maybe a Christian brother, somebody who keeps, and then you, you might take a stance and say, oh, I abstain from that because I'm, I'm supposed to remain holy. You're kind of doing that backwards from specifically the way the scripture describes. If you are not holy because you, abstain from those things. You're holy because God made you that holy. You're supposed to not defile yourself. That is not for you to elevate yourself up over someone else. However, that's what many of us do, unfortunately. As we learn about these commandments, as we learn about these things, and it's not just going to be about food, it's going to be about many other things. And as we get into next week's portion, we start talking about leprosy, and there's a great spiritual lesson to be learned about leprosy, about not to put leprosy upon somebody spiritually, because you somehow lift yourself up and exalt yourself because of the commandments you keep, or how you keep those commandments. That's something we have to be cautious of as we approach these commandments, that it's not... Our ability to avoid the unclean that makes us holy. No, God makes us holy, and we should probably remember that. 
that God is the one that called us to be holy, keep yourself clean, just like he charged everybody else to do as well, and they themselves on their own journey have to figure out how to keep themselves clean and how to walk uprightly before the Lord. And it is not our place and our, our task to judge them. Now, if we want to liken ourselves unto a kingdom of priests and the commandments that were given to Aaron that says you are to distinguish between the holy and the profane, the clean and the unclean, and teach the children of Israel and your brethren. We should probably take the same application in our own lives. That we do distinguish these things, but then we do so to teach one another. And to not lift ourselves up above anyone or anything, because God does that all on his own. It's the the holy anointing oil is what lifted up Aaron, not because of anything else that Aaron did, but it's God that lifts him up and makes him holy. Just like you, it's God that lifts you up and makes you holy, and it's not anything that you did or that you do that causes you to be more holy than someone or someone else. So, I think we can take application to that and we can understand that. So, as we go through these commandments and these instructions for holiness and cleanliness... Let us always remember that, that it's like, it is God that makes us holy, and it's not because we follow these things that makes us holy. But we are to make sure we don't defile ourselves before our God and our King, that we can continue to be in His presence and continue to worship Him. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before You on this Sabbath day. We thank You for Your teaching, Your instruction, as always, Lord. Father, I pray that we would continue to see these words, many of these uh, verses, commandments, chapters that we've read many times before, Lord. I would encourage, Lord, that we would read them again and that you would reveal something new to us each and every time, Lord. That you continue to cause us to grow in our faith. Even if it's gradually, Lord, even if we have a zeal and a passion to learn these things quickly and rapidly because we have a, such passion to, to be in your presence, Lord. Father, I pray that you would reveal it to us in a way that we can digest it, Lord. That we can, it can nourish us properly. And so that it's not that we eat too much or that we eat too fast, Lord. And that we feed ourselves with the words and the instructions, Lord, so rapidly that we can't handle it, Lord. But that you would reveal it to us. And Father, continue to teach us and train us up as the, as the infants in the faith that we are, Lord. As many of us are on a spiritual journey, and we are all your children, Lord, desiring to learn at a gradual pace, Father. So Father, I pray that we continue to read the words in the Scripture, Lord. May it nourish us spiritually each and every day. Father, I encourage the brethren, Lord to read their scripture, to get back into these words and read them again, even if it seems like we've read them before, Lord. We continue to see new things revealed to us and uplift us and strengthen us in our personal walk and in our lives, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for this time, this opportunity. I thank you for every person here watching the broadcast and abroad, Father. And I pray that you just pour out a special blessing upon them on this Sabbath and on this weekend, Lord. And may we continue to be nourished physically and spiritually in all things that you do for us. So we love you. We bless you and thank you on this day in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet V'chayalam natah betochenu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. All right, Shabbat Shalom. 
Thank you, Ephraim, for your teaching of Shemini. Um, and just to quickly remind you, um, uh, those of you who learned the Torah, the study of the Torah, you all know that Leviticus chapter 11 is the instruction about kosher and about the foods that are classified as clean versus unclean to the Lord. And this is a major issue when you come out of the church or you come into the Messianic movement, the Messianic teaching, there requires a change in your eating habits. And Leviticus 11 is the standard for what is classified as food when it comes to animal uh, life and so forth. And we have a corresponding passage uh, in the New Testament this week that addresses that very subject and deals with a couple of controversies, a couple of items that uh, come away with it. The, the Christian teaching is that as a result of Jesus coming and bringing the new covenant, that one of the great benefits that we all received from him in his grace and mercy is he changed the entire alimentary tract of every human body into a cast iron surface so that no matter what you throw down the tube through your mouth, it does not harm you or hurt you in any way. You do not get the diseases of the Egyptians and you're able to, quote, digest virtually anything that you think you like. By the way, that last part is not true. Jesus did not come and change the workings of the human body. And God has given instructions of what will be called food to a human body. It's not a religious thing. It's a health thing. It's about so you will not incur the diseases that were put upon the Egyptians and other nations. Now, in our modern state, there's virtually anywhere you go, there's somebody telling you what you eat determines your health and your life, even determines how long you would live. Well, the first and original health concern was the living God. And it is absolutely ironic to me, I mean completely ironic to me, that my New Covenant brethren still want to deny the commandment of God and yet will jump all over these health experts. Oh, yeah, i got to stop eating this and i got to stop eating that and I can't eat that, that's not good for me and so forth. And yet will dishonor the Lord and not honor what he has given as these commandments. It is beyond me. Now, going a step further, let us actually look at why in the world... Christians, churchmen, think they are authorized to do this. Why they think God changed all of this. And that's what this chapter in Acts chapter 10, it becomes their reference. So this is about Peter. This is after the resurrection. And Peter is going to go to a Gentile's house. He's going to be leading them to the Lord. And God's going to give him a vision. He's going to give him a vision of unclean things and tell him to eat, uh, kill and eat of those unclean things, which is absolutely at odds with Leviticus 11. Uh, so let's read now about Peter's trip from Joppa up to uh, Caesarea, where he went to see the house of Cornelius. Uh, chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, here's what it says. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was called the Italian cohort. 
A devout man, and one who feared God with all of his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. This man's a believer. He believes in the God of Israel. Even though he's a Roman, he believes in the God of Israel. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. And on the next day, as they were on their way approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So when's the sixth hour? That's about noon. Uh, And he became hungry, and he was desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky opened up, and a certain object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were on it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Every creature that he saw was contrary to the list in Leviticus 11. And that's what ties this passage to Leviticus 11. He saw the ones that Leviticus said, 11 said, No. And again a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up in the sky. Now, let's not read any further. Let me go ahead and give you the New Testament teaching on this from the church. They stop at this point, and they say, see, God declared... All of the animal kind, all the birds and all the crawling things and all the four-footed animals, they're all clean. They're no longer to be called unholy or unclean. They are all qualified food for you to eat. And they think this is a doctrinal position, that this somehow changes the law. That these words just change the Torah, just nullified Everything God taught through Moses that the the people of Israel have been following just nullified it all on a vision to Peter. Because you know, of course, Peter is preeminent to all of the saints that have ever been in the faith, including Abraham, Moses, and so forth. If you have any question about that, go talk to the Catholics and they'll tell you that. Peter is not preeminent in the faith above Moses or above Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's just get that fact straight right now. He is one of the brethren. In fact, he's one of our brethren. And the fact of the matter is, with the exception of the service that he performed, Peter is no more important than you and I in the faith. You and I are on the same level. We're disciples of Yeshua, the Messiah. He just had the task and responsibility to be an apostle, to be one of the ones that would go out and start works of God. And I know lots of people who've gone out and started works of God in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And Peter is not preeminent 
over anybody. Nor is the Apostle John. And the Apostle John stated many times, I am one of your fellow brethren. That we are on the par. We're all part of the same family. We're all part of it. So Peter has no special place to alter any commandment of God that's been previously given. Let's just get that straight. He has no authority. And if he was standing here right beside me, he would echo what I just said. There would be no dispute with him on that statement. That we are to follow the commandments of God. So what in the world is going on here? What, why did God give him this vision? Well, he begins to give us the answer. Verse 14, But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And a voice again came to him and said a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times. Immediately the object was taken up in the sky. Now Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. That verse says, those men coming from Caesarea is directly connected to this vision that Peter just got. And the answer to this vision, the understanding of this vision is going to be based on, and Peter's going to come to it, based on these men who come to see him. Now, these men who come to see him are not bringing a shrimp um, bouquet and some nice lobster. They're not coming with pork chops. Okay, They're not coming with a beautiful served-up meal based on the vision that he just did. They're coming for a whole different matter. Not about food. They're coming for a whole different reason. And Peter is going to be called upon now to draw the linkage between what was the vision I was given and what is going on with these men coming in. Let us read on. Verse 18. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. The Holy Spirit is now saying that there's a connection between what I just showed you and these three men coming to look for you. But arise, go downstairs, accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men, and behold, I am the one who is looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by the holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he arose, went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. In fact, it specifically was six other brethren went with him. So there was going to be a total of seven of them. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for him. Now, Caesarea is essentially a Roman city. That's where the Roman port is at. It's controlled by the Romans. And that's where he's a centurion, and he's in charge, probably, of that place for the Romans. 
and was was waiting for him and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Cornelius had already put a a group together and they were going to have uh, Peter come and teach them. By the way, in the Messianic movement, that's usually how the word gets around. There's a group of people in a community. They gather up their brethren and they invite a teacher to come to them. That's how I went out and spread the teaching of the Messianic movement in my early years. Brethren would assemble today, uh, Rico Cortez, Eddie Chumney, all the other teachers. A group of brethren assemble together, and they invite a teacher to come and speak to them. That's how it's done. That, you're having your first Messianic meeting of Gentiles right here. The very first one. This Jewish believer is going to come and share about Yeshua with a whole bunch of Gentiles. Just like the messianic meanings we have today. And when he had come that Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. Now this is Peter saying in his testimony, I have to change the definition of kosher. I am simply a message and I'm here to give you my testimony of who Yeshua the Messiah is. I have no special authority. I'm, getting, I'm not getting ready to, to pass a dispensation on to you. Boy, that's contrary to the popes, isn't it? Verse 27, as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Now let's go right back here. What did the Lord say to him in verse 14? But Peter said, by no means, Lord, have I done. In verse 15, he says again, a voice came to him and says, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. That's verse 16, and by verse 28, he now understands the vision. That was a vision so that I would not call these Gentiles unclean, even though it is the custom that I can't enter their home and I can't fraternize with them whatsoever. God just said, what God calls holy, you will not call unholy. And so he's now come with the liberty to teach and to share. Now, that is reason I came with you is because God gave me a vision had nothing to do with kosher what is clean or unclean with regard to food it has to do with what is considered to be clean and unclean among men and God just said you uh, brother Jews you will not treat the Gentiles as though they're unclean not when it comes to me If I declare them to belong with me, they're holy just like you are, and you will not go around calling them unclean because they're Gentile. This is huge. This decision, this moment was huge. Let me explain. Let me go back a little bit. In the days of Yeshua and leading up to Yeshua, particularly in the temple service, The Pharisaic and Sadducean elements that were controlling the temple had built another wall in the temple that was never called for by Solomon or by the Lord. It was called the middle wall of partition. And outside the temple, temple proper, in the court of the Gentiles, they had built another wall that 
circumnavigated around the temple. And there were certain entrances, but there was also a stone with a sign that says, No Gentile shall go past this point subject to death. So a Gentile who wanted to come and worship the Lord could get no closer to the temple or the altar than that location. If he wanted to bring a sacrifice to the Lord, he had to stop at that point and either get a Jew or a priest to come out, accept his sacrifice, and then go through and do the normal routine. Now, there was a gate and a doorway into the side of the temple that was expressly where you would bring your sacrifice, but a Gentile was never permitted to go there. There was the opening gate into the courts of the temple where you would go through the court of women. You'd go up this to the Nicanor gate, the beautiful gate, and you'd step into the court of Israel. And there was kind of a line there where then you would stand and the priest would bring your sacrifice over after he had examined it. You would slaughter the sacrifice with the priest, depending on the position of the altar. And the priest would then present your sacrifice up on the altar and you would go prostrate worshiping the Lord while your sacrifice was presented. No Gentile was permitted to do that. Because the Sadducees and Pharisees decided to separate themselves from it. And so they began to go around with the definition, well, inside the temple is holy, outside is unholy. The Gentiles are unholy, so we can never permit them to come in. That is never and never was the instruction of the Lord. That was never the instruction of the tabernacle added by religious men and it caused such a great division now I have something terrible to share with you there are some of my in fact I fear he would be more critical of us in the messianic movement than just the church people here's the reason why I understand the church people have just never been taught this stuff so for just not knowing but there should be no mercy for my fellow messianic Jews on this there should be none. They have the full knowledge of what this is and what it's about. They have the full knowledge of the scripture. And they know the ancient traditions. And yet, in some cases, they prefer them. Even with Paul or Peter teaching otherwise. So, let's continue on here a little bit. Uh, what else we learn? Verse 28, let me repeat it again. And he told them, he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner and visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Now that clears the decks right there. And let's go ahead and give Peter some credit for being one of the leading apostles. He was the oldest of them. And God decided to use him to illustrate and teach this principle so the rest of us in the faith would get this correct. And this is the first time it happened. By the way, when you get to Acts 15, he will give the testimony of this event as to why when Paul comes with Gentiles who have accepted the Lord, why they should be received fully and completely as brethren because they have come by faith and he himself witnessed the house of Cornelius receive the Holy Spirit and accept the Lord on faith, not because they kept any Jewish do or don't. This is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for you. So I asked for 
what reason you have sent me. And Cornelius said, four days ago in this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. He's repeating the instruction he had received earlier. They're confirming the different visions. They're confirming that God was saying the same thing to, to, to Cornelius that God was saying to Peter. And by the way, when we as brethren come together, sometimes seeking the will, we ask one another to brethren, what has God shown you? But this is what God has shown me. And when you see a match, you go, you have great confidence that you know the truth because he's confirmed it. And so I sent to you immediately, you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one who shows partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Should there be any question at all about that the gospel should be shared with the Jewish people? No, there should be no question about that. Should there be any question, should the gospel be shared with any other person of any other nation? There should be no question about whatsoever. The gospel is for all people in the world. The redemption of the Messiah is for everyone it was not targeted to one people over another it didn't go to one people and then it goes to the other the plan was always from the beginning the gospel was intended by God for all the whole world now what methodology did he use to display it he started working with a family called Abraham which led to a nation called Israel which came to the point of the Messiah coming amongst us and raising up disciples so they could share the message Verse 35, verse 36 rather. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Yeshua the Messiah. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all of Judea, starting with Galilee, after the baptism with John proclaimed. You know that Yeshua of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all of these things. He did both in the land of Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. God raised him up on the third day, granted him that he should be visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. And of him all prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him should receive forgiveness of sin. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those that were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. And because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. 
For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized. Who has received the Holy Spirit just as we did? Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. Okay, so let's reel the thing back. So this vision is about how we all get to eat what used to be non-kosher foods, right? Has nothing to do with that subject. Has nothing to do with eating shrimp and lobster and pork chops. Nothing to do with it at all. And most people, as I said, they read the first part of the vision, but they don't read the actual teaching. What did Peter learn from this? And how is it possible they as Gentiles even get to be included in the new covenant faith? Because, oh, by the way, the prophet said that the new covenant was being given to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Jeremiah 31. It didn't mention the Gentiles. And in here, you're learning, oh, that house of Judah and house of Israel thing, it's not just limited to that. That's the beginning, but it's to the whole world. And my Christian friends have no idea that the new covenant was actually promised to the people of Israel. And as a result of the promise being received by the people of Israel, it is also extended and the promise is given to all nations world as well truly this is the calling of Israel to be the light to all the nations that's the meaning of that phrase that Israel is the light to all nations we shed the enlightenment and understanding of the Messiah King to the whole world it is amazing to me in this book as often as it is read and studied in Christian churches in all the years that I was part of the church and I heard I heard this book taught that no one in my entire upbringing associated with the church for the first 30 years of my life ever had any kind of a concept what I just you I never heard just any of this until after I became a Messianic believer and in my heart agreed to not push away the commandments of the Lord but to endorse the commandments of the Lord and begin to keep the commandments of the Lord and then after I read Leviticus 11 all of a sudden this made sense and I'm here to tell you there are portions of the New Testament that you are absolutely blinded to you can read them at thousand times and they won't make sense to you unless you go find out what did God actually command to begin with and if you ignore the commandments you are woefully ignorant of what is being taught in the New Testament by the apostles you have no idea half the stuff that Yeshua was talking about now we all know that once we receive the knowledge of something, we now bear some responsibility to it. In other words, if you're ignorant, you get grace. You get mercy. It's like my brethren whom don't understand these things. I feel the compassion of the Lord. I feel merciful to him. I don't judge them. I don't go around and say, oh, you're wrong. 
truly, I feel sad for them. I'm just looking for how can we find a way to share with them the truth so that they'll be set free from the false things that have bound them up. But those who have heard teachings like what I'm giving and have read the scripture for themselves, people who are in responsibility of teaching other brethren, pastors, Sunday school teachers and others that go through this passage, you are no longer exempt. You know how to read the scripture and pull it together and and, and teach the proper understanding. And yet after you get through this and you learn this, you still ignore it to continue to do what you've been doing. That, let me just say, I don't understand. And I don't believe the Lord understands it very well either. You know, the day is coming when we're going to have to give an account to everything that's in here. Whether we did it or didn't. Whether we believed it or didn't believe it. And also, our understanding and our knowledge of things... How many people did we affect and what did we do to them? Did we teach them properly or improperly? Did we just compound the problem or did we help help the problem? I would pray that as you get ready for this week to eat unleavened bread, you think about the leavened things that are in your life. Things that are contrary to what the Lord has said. And maybe while you're practicing how to eat only the unleavened, maybe you'll spiritually think about the lesson that comes from that. It's not about food. It's about behavior. And it's about how we treat other people. And hopefully, the Holy Spirit, just like it led Peter and the Holy Spirit that led uh, Cornelius, maybe the Lord, the Holy Spirit will work in your heart, in your house. And you'll see some new things from the Lord. Amen? Shabbat Shalom. And now we leave you with the ironic blessing. bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. When the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. 
families will gather all around singing Shabbat Shalom. Everybody sing Shalom. Shalom. 